Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. On November 1st, millions of Israelis will go to the polls and elect a new Knesset, Hebrew for Parliament. Exactly how many millions? That is whether turnout is going to be high or low, and on what sectors and population centers could make or break the next Israeli coalition government to emerge three weeks from now if there is no absolute deadlock, as has been the case several times over the last three years. What are the prospects for the outgoing incumbents, led by Prime Minister Yair Lapid, to protect their hold on power from a comeback by former Premier Benjamin Netanyahu? And will whoever gets to form a new government be able to stay at the helm for an entire four-year term? To ponder and predict, let's turn to veteran observers of this serious game. Joining us from elsewhere here in Jerusalem, Mr. Mitchell Barak, CEO of Kivun Research Group. Thank you for joining us, sir. Also joining us from elsewhere here in Jerusalem, former Knesset member Dov Lipman, who is the founder and CEO of Yad Laolim. Thank you for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. Indeed, and uh, with us here in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large, host of Watchmen Talk, Powers in Play, and so much more, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a, not a prediction, but an overview of what we are to expect in the near future. I will give you a prediction, but not right now, uh, only following the elections. Indeed. Then I will predict backwards um, what happened. Um, it's very interesting to walk um, down the streets of Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or any other place in Israel because um, the uh, bystanders which uh, you encounter are both uh, participants and observers. And uh, you look uh, at them um, on, on Metro Rail here, for instance, and uh, one asks oneself, are they going to the polls or are they staying home? Because by their very actions, they will determine uh, the outcome. And uh, the um, uh, public opinion polls have been um, almost motionless for many weeks now. But even a slight motion could determine uh, the results, because if the block headed by Benjamin Netanyahu gets 61 um, Knesset members, he wins. If it gets 59, he will be blocked by the other side, even though the other side um, may not uh, be able to form a government because of the various fissures um, within it. So it brings to mind uh, the, the old uh, line by Charles Dickens regarding the difference between a shilling above what you need and a shilling less than what you need. It's between uh, poverty and um, happiness. Indeed. Well, a veteran advisor and pollster, uh, Mr. Barak, uh, I'd, I'd like to ask you, to what degree are the polls uh, which are projected to the public truly accurate at this stage, considering the fact that uh, the construct of uh, the political parties or factions are not the same uh, necessarily, considering the fact that the joint Arab list, uh, the nationalist Balad, for instance, is not going to run uh, with uh, the communist and, and uh, the, the uh, Islamist, if you will, uh, movements, for that matter. Uh, on the other end, you have 
former prime minister and current alternate premier uh, Naftali Bennett not going to run in the next election with significant questions with regard to whether or not uh, his number two, uh, the current uh, incumbent, uh, transitional interior minister and uh, um, veteran uh, ally, if you will, Ayala Chaked, is not going to pass the electoral threshold. Uh, these votes are going to either be thrown into the garbage or going to go to other right-wing factions, uh, which are necessarily loyal to Bimi Netanyahu. Is this an indicative uh, trend to see Netanyahu return to power? Well, I'll first, uh, you know, take from Amir Horan's uh, theme and say these are the best of polls and these are the worst of polls uh, because it's it's absolutely worthless uh, to um, look at any of these surveys, to take any of them seriously. Uh, it's irresponsible of the media, and every single media outlet is publishing polls, their own polls. It's absolutely irresponsible. Uh, and it's unprofessional. It's unprofessional for the pollsters. Many of these pollsters, by the way, I know who they are. Uh, first of all, they work and do polls for the media organizations, and they also work with maybe one or two or three parties also doing polling. So sometimes you can see that parties that are close to the threshold do better with some polling organizations than others. In addition, the method that they use, which is using an internet panel, is not really a great method in Israel. Uh, the largest panels maybe have 100,000 people, and they're polling constantly during the election. Uh, and they're only polling about 600 people. Some of them are using telephone polls too. But what is most ludicrous and most unprofessional is that even in a survey of 600, or let's even give them 1,000 people, the margin of error is about 4.2, 4.5%. And those percentage points are really good on when you have like 48 to 52%, or you have really high numbers and there's still a margin of error. So the margin of error, let's say, is 4.5% on these polls, and the threshold to get in the Knesset is 3.25%. It's less than the margin of error. So not only it's statistically insignificant, it's meaningless. And the difference on a 600-person survey of passing the threshold for someone like Ayala Shaked and not passing the threshold is the difference of about 17 votes on their internet panel versus 25 votes on their internet panel. So we really can't get swept up in this the polls are saying and Netanyahu you know, could possibly come back because even the polls and the pundits that predict Netanyahu's return are only doing it on like one seat. Like maybe he can get 61. Maybe he's close. Now he's at 60. Now he's at 59. Now he's at 61. Again, we fall within the margin of error and something that you can't even talk about or predict. So it's really not relevant. What, what is going to be relevant is the turnout on Election Day and how people are going to vote on Election Day. And in most cases, in most cases, they don't, uh, they don't decide who to vote for until the last moment anyway. So you really can't take any of this seriously. You can't take any seriously. We don't know. Netanyahu, the one thing we can say about him, he's, he's probably the best Israeli political entrepreneur that ever existed because he doesn't give up. He doesn't uh, stop. Let me interject for a second. We, we see yeah. President Reagan uh, in the background behind uh, Mitchell Barak. 
And I remember in uh, late October of 1980, um, I was in, in the States for the um, uh, Carter versus Reagan elections. Okay. Carter led in the polls. Over the weekend, um, Reagan surged and, and won. But if you asked um, the professional uh, prognosticators uh, who is going to win a week before the elections, they would have all or most uh, been wrong. Indeed. Mr. Lippmann, I'd like to hear your take on this. Uh, and also beyond that, uh, with uh, the, these are severe allegations, what uh, Mr. Barak just mentioned, because it, it brings a lot of uh, impact on voters, whether to go to the polling stations, whether not to go. Uh, it may also change their their uh, decision in the last minute, either to vote for a secondary party that might be part of the coalition of the party that you would like to vote for. Uh, is there a sense of responsibility within the parties to highlight things that are not just politically inclined? So I certainly yield to uh, Mitchell Barak when it comes to the analysis and the expertise about the polling. That's not my uh, place of expertise. I do live in the world of the political realm, and that's where I do feel the polls are indicative of something. They can't tell us exactly what the results will be. But as you analyze it as a political analyst, uh, the bottom line, and I'm speaking here completely uh, apolitically, I have no agenda in terms of any particular party, but as you see the numbers, even with taking into account the margins of errors and even taking into account that a lot of people don't know who they're voting for, when you analyze it at the moment, the only uh, candidate who seems to be within the realm of possibility of forming a coalition is Netanyahu. That does seem to be, again, he's not there. Uh, it could swing in any direction, but it does seem to be that way because if Yair Lapid on the one hand is saying, I will not form a government together with the Arab parties on the one hand, then, then there's no way, even taking into account all the margins of errors, there's just the numbers don't seem to be there. And that does sway voters. Voters are definitely swayed by that factor. What people are misunderstanding is that Netanyahu is not, if he has 61 the day after the election, going to turn and say, okay, I'll just secure my right-wing religious uh, government and that's all. He will not do that. He's going to turn leftward and he's going to do anything he can to bring in others into that coalition. And that's where all the wheeling and dealing is going to take place. What I will tell you from the street and from my conversations and the numbers of people that are turning to me asking for guidance how to vote, the numbers are off the charts of people who have absolutely no idea who they're going to vote for. I do agree with Mitchell. They will literally decide when they walk into the polling booth and make a decision. Hardcore Likud voters for years, certainly in the English-speaking population, are not comfortable voting for Likud, not even so much because of Netanyahu, but more because of what has happened with the Likud list, where they see a lot of the Likud stalwarts, the people that made them comfortable voting for Likud, are no longer high on the list. So I do agree that regardless of what the polls say right now, not from any an, an, someone who analyzes polls, but just from seeing what's happening on the street, things are wide open. But I do believe we're either going to see Netanyahu forming a government somehow or going back into this loop of not having a government and continuing going towards new elections. With that being said, of course, uh, the Anglo community in Israel is relatively marginal when we're speaking about the Likud proper, uh, considering the fact that the majority or the, the bulk of uh, Likud supporters are Sabah Israelis, uh, 
usually also more uh, oriental uh, directed. But I, I'd like to ask you, Mr. Olgan, there is a point that both uh, Barack Mitchell, uh, Mitchell Barack and uh, uh, Dalton Lippmann noted, and, and it's quite significant. The, the lists of the parties have uh, changed. One of your close friends, Nachman Shai, is on a number nine, which uh, is not a rea- uh, realistic spot for... Then he won't be run. my uh, close friend uh, anymore. Indeed, you'll probably lose him as a friend, or he'll lose you, let's see. Nevertheless, uh, all joking aside, we look at those lists and we see a lot of new faces in old parties which do not necessarily um, go well in the national polling, rather go well in the faction polling. Is this going to diminish or decrease the number of voters ultimately, which then consequently would bring about more significant numbers uh, or not? Well, the decision um, on uh, whether to vote for one uh, list or the other is, um, of course, composed of several components. There's um, tradition, sometimes even family tradition, going back a couple of generations. Uh, If you are a fan of a certain soccer club, you don't change it just because your uh, club uh, lost. Even though here it's more ideologically inclined. Yes, uh, so you you have uh, this affiliation, ideology, uh, the party platform, but over the last several uh, years or even decades, the party leader uh, has been paramount. And the makeup of the list, which earlier was important, uh, whether because it uh, reflected or represented certain sectors and promised to work for them if elected, or because um, uh, these people were attractive as a team, um, as uh, potential portfolio holders, this has diminished. Um, it probably began exactly 30 years ago in the 1992 elections when for the first time a party had its leader on the ballot. Labor led by Yitzhak Rabin. Uh, earlier, um, no name has ever appeared on, on a ballot. And this was not uh, direct personal uh, elections the way it started in 1996. So today... It doesn't really matter, of course, for the um, politicians themselves who fight for it, uh, Claw and, and Tith, of course, it's, it's all important. But for people, it doesn't matter who's on the list and uh, what uh, the ranking is. But let me add another actor. We know that one important actor is going to be Dov Lippmann and the guidance he is going to give uh, people who ask him uh, uh, for it. Another actor is President Itzhak Buzhi Herzog. Because what will happen once the results are certified is that the various party representatives will go to the president's house and make the recommendations. But then President Herzog will say, yes, I am the second President Herzog. My father, the first President Herzog in 1984, managed to um, take Likud and labor and create a national unity government. And I'm going to do the same. Does the fact that he was the chairman of the Labour Party have any impact? 
No, it will not. Um, uh, it, uh, the only um, matter is that he will be able to release politicians from their campaign pledges. Those cited here, I will not sit with X, no matter what. Then he will use his authority, if he has uh, any, and will say, I am now releasing, he is not a rabbi, his grandfather was the chief rabbi of uh, Ireland, but um, he, will, he will say, uh, there is no other way, uh, we have to stabilize the government, we can't go uh, for a sixth round in three years, so uh, let's butt heads and come up with some labor, yeshatid, um, Benny Gantz coalition. Mr. Barak, I'd like to ask you, when we're looking at uh, the, the national polling expectations or predictions, uh, currently within the Arab sector, which is quite significant uh, when we're talking about the amount of people that are going to vote, um, the predictions are that not many people are going to vote. Uh, there's a lot of fatigue, there's a lot of frustration. Uh, the construct, as I've mentioned at the beginning, of the joint Arab list is no longer there. Only two parties of that alliance have uh, persisted to maintain uh, their pledges. Uh, do you see the low outcome um, going basically in favor of a potential Netanyahu coalition? Okay, so let me, let me, I'll answer that and then I want to get back to something that Amir said and that Dov said. Uh, so first of all, with the Arab turnout, we still don't know yet. Because what motivates them may be anger, maybe that no one is respecting them, maybe that the Supreme Court is banning one of their lists, maybe that the fact that all these parties are saying they're not going to sit with the Arabs will turn them out. So it's way too early uh, to, to predict how they're going to turn out, and they may sway the election either way. I can tell you, having done uh, polling in the Arab sector for going back 10 years at least, that the vast majority of them want to be in the government or supporting the government from outside. We found this four or five years ago, that 70%, about uh, 35 and 35, said either join the government directly or support it from the outside. So there's a real interest to get the budgets, to be part of the government, to be part of the country even. So we're going to see how that plays out, and it's going to depend on which Arab lists are running, and what do the other parties say about it? Because if you insult them enough times, people like Yair Lapid or even Gantz or even others saying, we will not sit with the Arab parties, well, that's enough of a motivator to get them out. Now I want to go back to what uh, Amir said, bringing up uh, President Bougie Herzog, because I actually blame him on ruining leadership in this country. That's a bold thing that I'm saying, but he has ruined leadership in this country as being the first candidate for prime minister at labor to not run to be a leader. He ran, and when he ran, said, he's going to split it. He's not going to be the prime minister for four years. He's going to split it with Tsipi Livni. And this has been the downfall of Israeli leadership and Israeli democracy. And it goes into what Dov Lipman said, which is that Netanyahu is really whether he can form the government or not form the government, because Netanyahu has been running unopposed for the last 10 years. No one is coming and saying, I can be a leader, I can replace Netanyahu. They're all coming and saying, I'm going to be the first in rotation, I'm going to be the second in rotation, I'm going to put together a government, and we're going to do it as a team. It's like Netanyahu is Muhammad Ali, the greatest fighter of all time, and he's going against George Foreman, Joe Frazier, and Sonny Listman, each for, th 
five rounds, and he's going the full distance. So no one is really challenging him on the leadership. No one is really saying, I can beat Netanyahu, I can put together a government, and I can lead this country. He's the only one that's running for the leadership of Israel, to be prime minister of Israel. Even if you look at Gantz, who's, you know, Gantz's campaign message is, I can put together a stable government. That's great. What are you going to do after you put together a stable government? Are you going to lead the country, or are you just going to manage that government? And Netanyahu is the only one that's talking about issues. He'll always go back to his defense issues. He'll always go back to security. At the end of the day, Israelis really they don't vote for economy or anything else. They vote on security issues. They vote on defense issues. Who can take care of those the, the best? And Lapid has shown that he's been able to do that. But at the end of the day, it's a leadership contest. And Indeed. Netanyahu is the leader running against people that are just not on his level. So he's going to have an advantage on Election Day, although Lapid looks good in the prime minister's office. He's a prime minister. He's an acting prime minister. He's been doing OK the last few months. And that's going to be the real challenge. But again, we're not hearing him say, I'm going to continue as prime minister. Uh, we're, we're, you know, he's going to put together a government. It might be a rotation. He already did a rotation. Israelis don't want rotation. And going back to what both of the other guests said is Israelis like dictatorships and political parties. Ninety percent of the parties that are running, OK, are political dictatorships, meaning it's a figurehead. Like we said, it's the chairman, whether it's Lieberman, uh, Gantz, Lapid. Um, it's those people uh, and the religious parties have their people. It's someone who decides the list and nobody cares who else is on the list. Likud has an election. Labor has an election. Merits has an election. That's great. Merits is the only party that wasn't running as headed by. All the other parties are running as a dictatorship. And that's what Israelis like. They don't care who's on the list. They want someone who's going to make the decisions and, and lead their party. And that's where Netanyahu has an advantage, because that's what he's been doing. He's an absolute dictator when it comes to a lot of these things. Uh, nevertheless, one point I will make, and that is that Netanyahu does not necessarily focus on defense solutions, rather um, saying how the other side is bad in defense. Uh, and Correct. his main focus currently in his election campaign is actually social, economical. He's listening to the the big marginal of his uh, voters who are not from uh, the rich populations within Israel, rather the masses uh, who are middle class to lower class. Uh, this obviously influences his speeches. He feels uh, the pain because he is part of the uh, lower middle class too. Indeed. Well, uh, he, uh, wait, let's wait to let's wait till we get a week before the election and see what the issues are, especially with the uptick in terrorism. This is what he's going to be focusing on. Iran is what he's going to be focusing on. He doesn't really have in his bag of tricks anything else because that's all he's run on. And that's what he's comfortable with. And when he sees he's not getting traction with the social welfare and the other issues, he's going to go right to defense where, you know, he may have an advantage because he's seen as a guy who's been there for a number of years and he successfully deflects any issue or any problem. Meaning, you know, you don't even remember that he voted for the disengagement. So he's going to go back to that. I don't think he, I don't think he's going to focus on social issues. Even though he, he does have a number of generals competing uh, with him, including Benny Gantz and uh, Gadi Eisenkot as his uh, number three and, and other generals within that specific party. Uh, Mr. Lippmann, we have roughly three and a half minutes for today's program. And I'd like to um, ask you to, to 
provide us some insight uh, for the majority of our uh, viewers who do not understand Israeli politics. What should they look out for within this period remaining before the upcoming election that is scheduled for November 1st? There's no doubt that the first development, which is fascinating, and you see it in the picture behind you, is that, as Mitchell said, Yair Lapid has definitely shown that he is a capable prime minister. The country has not fallen apart. He's seen as a prime minister candidate, and certainly his numbers are rising because of that and polling certainly in the mid-20s or so. But what people have to remember as they're watching this is this is not about how many seats either one of them gets. And this is the mistake that people make over and over again. Whether Likud gets 32 or Likud gets 35, whether Lapid gets 24 or 26, they're, folk, they're, they're both functioning within their own camps, within the right-wing camp or the center-left camp. So whatever seats they're getting are not generally shifting from one side to the other. And therefore, the story is not going to be what happens on election day. We'll have 120 members of Knesset elected. We'll have those results within a day or two after the election. The question is going to be what happens after that. So whatever they're watching over the next 30 days doesn't even matter so much. But what will happen after that? Can either of them put together a government of 61 or more? That is going to be the entire story. So I would say to all the viewers, kind of sit back, watch. You know, see different people putting on performances, but let's really watch what happens after Election Day. Can either of them put together a coalition based on the results? That is going to be the entire question of this election. Mr. Owen, the focus, though, is uh, amongst Yair Lapid's peers uh, on the center, center right, center left. Ultimately, it's about just not Netanyahu. Is this still in the forefront or did they now bring uh, solutions for real problems, considering that the international community is faced with uncertainty uh, today that also Israel is going to bear the consequences of? So we are all focused on the climate crisis and uh, icebergs being frozen. But it turns out that the icebergs in Israeli politics are very intact. You, uh, No matter what question pollsters pose, you have... 33% voting for the position Netanyahu stands for. Um, you, you have one-third of the voters always for him, regardless of uh, the topic. And his greatest achievement is to deflect attention from the fact that he is standing trial for corruption. And the court is going uh, uh, to resume um, testimony in the days before the elections, but he is trying to put it around, and one of his uh, main agenda items is reforming the justice system. Indeed, well, uh, he's deflecting it successfully because uh, even the parties opposing him don't seem to really care too much uh, and understand that the public is fatigued from they the situation. They have despaired. Indeed. Uh, well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Mr. Barak, Mr. Lippman, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's uh, panel, and I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.